welcome to the Labrador podcast from Tales of Success Labrador Training. Hello, it's Vicky Sharp. I'm a trainer with Tales of Success Labrador Training and also your host for the Labrador podcast. Thanks for joining me for another episode. In this one, we're going to chat to Lucy and she's going to tell us about her two Fox Red Labradors. Lucy, thank you so much for joining me today. For those listeners that don't know your two Labradors already, give us a quick rundown about their ages, personalities and, and general naughtiness that they get up to. Uh, so firstly, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be able to come on and just um, share experiences. So um, yes, I'm Lucy and I have two Fox Red Labradors. Um, I have Ada, who is 19 months old, and then I have little Nancy, who is just four months old, um, both female. Uh, they're actually biological sisters. So from the same mum and the same dad, um, obviously by default from the same breeder. Um, and I think they are what you would describe as typical working line Labradors. So love to learn, but very high energy, very bouncy is the way that I describe them. Um, but also flip side of that, like totally like loving, gentle, cuddly personalities as well. So, um, yeah, really lovely dogs, both of them. Utter perfection. But I guess they're both keeping you on your toes at the moment because your little one is, like you say, just four months old. So you've um, you've got a lot of fun. Is she sleeping well through the night? She is actually the night time. So I obviously have the, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. And I have learned all my lessons from Ada. So crate training was something that was very important to me. So yes, I've done things completely differently with little Nancy. Um, and actually, I think it was from second night, she's always been sleeping through the night, which definitely makes everything a little bit easier when you're not sleep deprived. Absolutely. And we'll talk about those kind of differences between how you coped with the first dog and how you dealt with the second dog a little bit later on. But I'm interested as to you've got two biological sisters, same mum, same dad. So was that always the plan? Or did you just get absolutely suckered in with Ada and think, right, I need another one of these because she's so perfect? Yeah, literally the second I just got the bug, got addicted, which I think everybody um, does. I think when we were training together, Vicky, I think you even said to me, like, oh, once you get one, you'll always end up getting two. So, yes, the plan was never to get two dogs. Like, I took a really long time deciding to get my first dog um, and then obviously went very quickly from one to two. Um, but interestingly enough, my um, breeder, so a lady called Lisa, who runs Silver Fox Labradors, like amazing breeder, definitely recommend her. Um, she always said to me, like, I knew that you'd be back. And I was first on the list when Nancy's litter came along, which was brilliant. Got pick of the litter. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of picking the same mum and dad, because we just loved Ada so much and she's so lovely natured, we just thought, why wouldn't we go back to the same place? Um, so we always knew we'd use the same breeder. But yes, it just so turned out it was same mum and dad as well, which was a bit of a bonus, I suppose. Perfect. Um, so we know you've already mentioned that they're kind of from from working lines. Um, but I also know that really you, you have these dogs as, as family pets. They're not working tools for you. Was it a conscious choice to go for a, a working line Labrador to keep as a family pet? Or did you kind of realize the differences between show line and working line after you'd got Ada yeah I, honestly it was a little bit of everything so I always knew like my experience with dogs prior to getting my own has always been with working dogs so my grandparents had a mixture of Labradors Collies but re always really high energy driven dogs so I suppose there was a bit of a conscious decision or maybe just a bit of a bias from me that those were the types of dogs that I liked um, but in terms of the Labrador I didn't really sit down and think right what are the differences between the two the thing that was most important to me was finding a reputable breeder and someone that I felt we got on with who I felt were treating their dogs in the right way they weren't just doing it for the money um, who genuinely loved their dogs um, and I did tons of research and I know although they're working line they do also make amazing family pets so yeah that's kind of how we approached it yeah absolutely there, there's no reason that a working line Labrador can't be the most amazing family pet um and you obviously saw that trait in Ada to go and get Nancy anyway. So um, how long have you actually owned Labradors? Was Ada your first Labrador? She was indeed, yes. Yeah. So I say Ada was my first dog as a grown-up. So I um, had some experience previously, but yes. So technically, um, I mean, I got her at eight weeks. So it would be, what, 15 months that I've had experience um, owning dogs myself. Okay, so you've mentioned about kind of previous experience with with working dogs, like when you were a kid and that sort of stuff. So 
tell us about your your history with dogs from day one what sort of dogs have you grown up with and um what sort of characters have they had and I suppose also how have they helped you with with Ada and Nancy Mm, so I when I was born my parents actually had um great danes so they had two great danes one was actually only still alive like whilst I was born um so there's quite interesting photos of this newborn baby with this giant dog stood next to her and as I got a bit older obviously I'm like climbing all over her pulling her ears and everything and um, sadly I don't remember her at all um although my mum always tells me Dex was my first word and her name was Dexie so um mum always said that even from a young age I really um you know was attached to the dog um and things but I suppose that farming goes way back in my family especially on my maternal side so all of my weekends my school holidays I would spend all of my spare time on my grandparents farm um so I was always surrounded by kind of farm animals but also the dogs were a big part of that so as I mentioned my grandparents they would have had always working dogs so Labradors, Collies, Terriers um, the Collies are the ones that I actually remember the most um, but they were, you know, proper working dogs, like kenneled outside. Um, you know, my granddad wouldn't even have to talk and they would know exactly what he needed them to do or what have you. And um, it's quite interesting, I think, now reflecting on that and knowing how much work would have gone into it. Whereas as a child, you don't think of those things. And I just thought that's how all dogs were. But um, yes, some of my best memories as a child are being on my grandparents' farm and, you know, all you do is walk outside and you'd have at least one dog with you kind of accompanying you for the day. So from there, I guess I always had a love of animals and dogs and knew that I would get a dog. Um, but then, yeah, throughout childhood, didn't really have my own um, dog. There was occasional, we had um, a boxer dog at one point in time. Um, but once I got older, I always knew, right, I am going to get a dog. Um, but if I'm going to do something, I really want to do it well. And I just never thought that I would have time for a dog. So when we moved to this house that we live in now, um, you know, myself and my partner were talking about it. And I said no for a really long time. I was dead against the idea. Um, and, you know, just thought I'm not going to be able to train it. I haven't even got the headspace to think about whether I want a dog. So put it off for a really long time. Um, and people literally laugh at that story now because now, you know, I dedicate every spare minute I have to the dogs. Um, so they're always really surprised that I was the one that was dead against it and was kind of getting the peer pressure elsewhere to get one. Um, so, yeah, so that's where it came from. That's my um, experience. And now, yeah, totally crazy dog mom who spends 24 seven with her dogs. I love that, that you were kind of against the idea and then you mm. kind of you succumbed and you were like, yeah, let's get a dog. You've now ended up with two. Um, I've said to you many times before, I'm sure that once you've got one, you'll definitely get two. And once you've got two, you may as well get three because it's really easy when you bring the third one in. So I expect in a year's time, you're going to have like a whole zoo at your house full of fox red Labradors. Yes, I, honestly, I think that probably would be the case. If we had the space, I would literally have yeah a whole pack of them. I'd love it. <laughs> um, let's talk about the girls then. So where are they at their absolute happiest? What what do they love doing? So it's probably um, unsurprising to people, but when they're eating, so food is definitely the quickest way to their heart. Um, we're actually brand reps for um, a small independent business. It's female owned independent business called Poor and Simple. Um, and they do kind of uh, natural treats, enrichment, um, those type of things. Um, so the girls particularly, you know, if there's like someone with a dried sprat or like a furry rabbit ear or anything like that, they also love the really smelly treats, but there's a ban on those. They're only outside and in the summer. Um, I don't like having those in the house. But yeah, food is definitely the quickest way to their heart. Um, I think more specifically per dog. So um, obviously we did scent training with you, Vicky, for Ada. And, you know, you'll know she's got a really strong nose. Um, I made, which we'll probably go into, but a lot of mistakes with Ada. I used to let her basically free run on our walks as a puppy and basically hunt. She was using her nose all the time. Um, so you really helped us channel that in an appropriate way. But it is still one of her favourite things to do. So, yeah, any time that she's using her nose on our walks, she loves um, she's also a big softie, so anyone that's free to have a cuddle with her on the sofa, um, we always say Ada doesn't sit with you, she sits on you, and she literally does. I just posted um, a recent photo on Instagram, and she's literally laying um, all the way over my youngest stepdaughter. Um, so, yeah, so she's yeah got both those sides of her personality. 
Um, and obviously Nancy, she's so, so little still, so we're still figuring out um, what really makes her tick, but she's so intelligent, loves using her brain. Um, and obviously at four months old, we're doing lots of um, training with her at the moment. And you can really see those cogs whirring. And when she you know, does something well and she's getting her reward, you see her little tail wagging. So yeah, at the moment, using her brain is definitely a great way to kind of engage with her. Yeah. And I think with with both of those examples that you gave for, for both dogs, it's all about giving them purpose, giving them jobs to do. Um, working lines love that. They absolutely love kind of feeling like they've got a bit of something to be focusing on. Um, during that, you also mentioned about kind of mistakes or, or alluded to mistakes that you've made with Ada that maybe you wouldn't do with Nancy. So let's talk about that, because you've you've got this really good situation where you've got two young dogs quite close together. And you've learned probably a lot of lessons from Ada, which you now apply to Nancy. So have you done things differently with Nancy compared to Ada? And if so, what? I have done, I'd say, majority of things differently with Nancy than I have with Ada. So with Ada, I actually did so much research, like I really felt well prepared when she came to our house. But I think the theory is very different sometimes when you put it in practice. Um, and honestly, I have so much to thank Ada for because we really have learned together. And some of her more challenging behaviours now have come from the way that I've trained her. So I'm sure like every dog owner out there, I have a massive amount of guilt that I'm constantly having to work on those things with her. Um, but like you say, she is still young. She's only 19 months. She's still a baby herself. Um, so we've still you know, got lots of time to be able to correct those things. Um, the one, I suppose the caveat that I would put before I go into my long list of things that I've done differently is that second time around, I have found it so much easier. And I think one, that's because I've had the experience of having Ada. So I've learned my lessons. I had a better training plan. I knew what I wanted to do. But I also just think a lot comes from the confidence that you have in yourself. So I think I mentioned, you know, when I do something, I really want to do it well. And I put a lot of pressure on myself with Ada. And I think, you know, people always say, don't make comparisons, the thief of joy. And Instagram is a wonderful place. Like we love having our Instagram account. However, you see these beautiful, basically newborn puppies almost walking to heel. And you're like, why isn't my dog doing that? What am I doing wrong? And I would compare myself all the time. So I think I you know, threw that out the window and literally with Nancy just had confidence in myself that I knew what would be the right thing to do. Sorry, do you think that kind of taking that pressure off yourself has allowed you to kind of enjoy it a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. I think I really had to remind myself of that with Ada that actually she, I mean, no dog is perfect, right? Like they're, they're just not, they are dogs. And, you know, I think at, at any age, they're going to do things that you don't necessarily want them to do. Um, and yet it really has yeah, just reminded me that that this is, you know, a member of our family and we should actually enjoy the training time together. And it is, it's something I get a massive amount of satisfaction out of. So, yeah, it's really just taken the pressure off. Talk us through kind of that list of things that you have done differently for Nancy compared to Ada. Right, so the way that I, I guess, approached it with Nancy, and it's the advice that I would give to everyone, is to think of your end training goal. So what I did with Ada would just be like, right, I need Ada to sit. I need Ada to lie down. But I never really thought of why do I need to teach those things and in what scenario? So with Nancy, I really thought, right, let's imagine her as a 25 kg Labrador. What are the behaviours that I expect from her? what am I prepared to give into this and then work backwards on my training plan and that has really helped us structure our training it just helps you prioritize um, what you want to do I guess one of the big things that I did which I've mentioned already but was crate training so I can't even say that I crate trained Ada I had a crate for her I would let her sleep wherever she wanted in the day and then at night I would pick her up pop her in a crate and then wonder why she cried during the evenings um, so one of the things that I did, especially with crate training, is I looked at who was doing it well. So used my Instagram community. Um, there's so many people and not even enough time to go into all of the people that I would say thank you to. But um, Meg, who if people are on Instagram, Rex and Roma's mum, I knew that she'd had a challenge crate training her first dog. I knew that she'd totally nailed it with her second dog. And Meg spent so long voice noting me, 
literally giving me a training guide step by step talking me through what worked for her um, and I appreciated her time so much and literally put those steps into place um, and it totally worked for us with Nancy so I think second time round, I really recognized if there were things that I didn't do well with Ada that I'd not been able to correct I just had the confidence in myself to ask for help so go to a trainer go to a friend go to somebody you've met on Instagram like find those people who do know what they're doing um, and let them help you like you're not in it by yourself um, I guess with crate training I'm not precious about Nancy being in a crate forever if you know in a few months time she actually wants to settle on the sofa or wherever she wants to I'm fine with that but especially having two dogs for me that was really high on my priority list of things that I wanted to nail um, and it has yeah it's really worked for us. You, you mentioned um, the help that you'd received from Meg, with which is Rex Rex and Roma's uh, human. So I just want to give them a bit of a shout out because I've just found their their Instagram handle here. So it's Rexy the Red Lab. So um, I'm sure from you, a big thank you for all that help that they gave you with with sorting the crate training out. Um, let's talk about Ada and Nancy where they're kind of happy. Well, you've said kind of what they like doing, but. For you, what is your best bit about having them in your lives? What what do you like doing with them? Oh, honestly, everything. It's it's really hard for me to narrow down one thing. And you know, I I literally look at them every day and I'm like, gosh, how did I get so lucky to get both of you? I think it's just a real privilege to be a dog owner. And it's one of the things that surprised me most actually is how much satisfaction that I have got out of owning the dogs especially as I mentioned that I was so against it to start off with I've kind of had to eat my words with that one um I think one of the things that I really enjoy is seeing our training pay off and I think I went into training thinking it was about putting boundaries in place for your dog which absolutely it is but I didn't realize that it was actually enjoyment for both of you as well it's just enrichment um and actually seeing that pay off has been amazing um and also, I think, I mean, not just with Labradors, but with any dogs, you literally leave the room for two minutes and walk back in and their tails are wagging. It's like the best thing ever. It's that unconditional love that they give you. Um, even if you haven't been the best trainer that day or what have you, they love you no matter what. So, um, yeah, for me, I just think everything's wonderful. Oh, brilliant. And you mentioned about uh, seeing the training pay off and see how happy they are. So tell us a little bit about what your your training schedule or your little regime that you have. What does that look like for both girls? So one of the things that I think has worked really well for us is using just everyday life as a training opportunity. Um, I guess, especially with working line Labradors, their brain is always working. Um, so anything that you can find to do with them during your day just really is a great way to enrich them. Um, I think when I first had Ada, I would think of training as, right, I'm going to take her to a field and we're going to do some skills-based training for an hour. And that was what training looked like. But I mean, of course it is. It's one of the things that we do still do. But what works for us is that just everyday moment. So it could be, you know, you've got two minutes, the kettle's boiling. Steadiness is one of the things that Ada struggles with. So actually, I'll put her blanket on the floor. I'll ask for a sit. And she sits there for two minutes. She gets the occasional reward as we're doing it. And that in itself is training, which, you know, 15 months ago when I got her, I would never have thought of that. So that's really something that I've got in our routine for both girls. Um, and on top of that, of course, every single walk is a training opportunity. Where we live, we're really lucky to have some gorgeous, like secure fields that you can rent. So we will, you know, every week I'll tend to write a list for myself of a couple of the skills that I really want to um, prove. Um, and I'll go there and do them. So building on, you know, the environments that I'm doing those skills in. Um, so it is a bit of everything. But yeah, that's the everyday life, I think, is something that I would really stress to people. Um, you know, majority of the time you will have your Labrador sitting with you in the house. So what better environment to actually do their training? One of the other things that I um, I suppose is a, something that surprised me a little bit and it's something that I've really had to build my confidence around is when you are training outside obviously there's lots of distractions it's a great you know a great reason to train outside but in myself I've really had to build my confidence in advocating for the girls so we probably have all experienced it that you'll be on a walk you've got your dog in a lovely heel which is very rare for Ada so if I've got her in a heel we're like full concentration mode lots of reward and a dog out of nowhere will come charging over 
So I've got really good now. At, I always take a spare lead with me. And if I feel it's appropriate to put that dog on a slip lead to just calm it down, I'll do that. Take it back to its owner. Or if somebody comes over and wants to interact with us, I've just got much better at saying no. Whereas before, I would always feel a bit obliged to let them, which is the craziest thing ever, because it's my dog and you know, people, you wouldn't do that in an everyday scenario, but I've definitely got much better at just pushing back. And, you know, I'm quite a sociable person myself. Like I will stop and talk to anybody in the street. So I've had to really force myself to almost, you know, eyes down on our walks, just purely focusing on the dogs um, to almost give the signal of like, you know, we're not friendly, don't come over and interact with us. So yeah, I think it's for new dog owners. I definitely think it's something to think about because I really underestimated it and it definitely put my training with Ada back, not advocating with her. Um, But, you know, you know, that's the thing. Your dog is not public property. When you go for a walk, people want to get their hands in your dog's face and kind of say hello. And it's all done in, you know, the nicest possible way. But it sets back everything you're doing. If you're teaching your dog to try and be neutral around people and things, the worst thing is someone coming up to you and fussing your dog and getting them all riled up. So I would totally agree with that. You know, be the person that is rude. Just say, no, thanks, not today. Walk in the opposite direction. Avoid eye contact, whatever you can do. But you, like you say, you have to advocate for your dog so much because they, they can't do it. And actually, it's quite a scary thought, isn't it? Could you imagine walking down the high street and people putting their hands in your face? You'd be, if you're anything like me, you'd be really cheesed off really quickly yeah it's I think it's exactly that and I think you know um it I mean from the training that we did together Vicky I know it's something that we've spoken about and um when Ada was born into her litter she was yellow collar and just coincidentally I bought her a yellow harness and that actually helped us because you know I didn't know it at the time but obviously that can signal that you've got a nervous dog Ada is the complete opposite of being nervous sometimes I wouldn't mind her being a little more nervous or cautious but it did mean sometimes that people stayed away from us because they thought it was that sign. So I would definitely say that, like, do whatever you can to make people think that they can't come over. And, you know, sometimes people, especially if I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed on a walk, maybe our walk isn't going to plan and someone will come over and say, is she friendly? Now, a, you know, you know Ada really well, Vicky. She is the friendliest dog ever. But sometimes I'll say, oh, no, she's not really. Just so the person will go away. And I think, you know, you're never going to see that person again. Just do what you, you need to do to advocate for your dog. And if their other person is a, resp- a responsible dog owner, they'll totally understand. Yeah. And if, if you're not the sort of person that's confident to tell people to, to back off, there's, there's other things you can do. So you can buy like bright yellow sleeves that go on, on the lead, which says, you know, dog in training or keep back or do not pet. Or even some like high-vis vests that you can put on your dog, which again, just says dog in training you're still going to get silly people coming up to you and still trying to touch your dog. But actually the vast majority of sensible people out there will give you that extra bit of space that you need to, to allow you just to carry on with your training. Um, Lucy, you gave us some really good insights there. And probably my top one that I just want to reiterate is that training is not an event. It's not something that happens once a week. It's not something that happens for one hour on a Tuesday morning and half an hour on a Thursday afternoon. It's actually something that should be applied to everyday life and and kind of think about every situation you're in, every scenario. What are you teaching your dog in that situation? I think that's really key because it it makes your life easier because it's just something that you do every day. And it really helps your dog understand what they're meant to be doing in so many different scenarios. Um, So when we look at training, what what are the most important things to you? What are your kind of top five skills that you like to focus on as much as possible Mm -hmm. obviously they're slightly different for me at the moment because I've got the two girls and while some of them are the same obviously they're at very different stages so I guess maybe if we start with Nancy when she first came home obviously crate training as I've mentioned and I guess toilet training as part of that um I will give myself a shout out for the toilet training because it's probably the one thing that I did do really well with Ada. So we basically did a copy paste of that with Nancy. And again, it's worked perfectly, um, which was great. But yes, I guess those kind of house manners, if you like, were top of the list with Nancy. Um, I guess recall above all else. Um, Again, I did not do this with Ada, but recall is so important. And again, I originally thought of that as you're in the middle of a field and you're calling your dog. It's not. It's 
Nancy's getting out of her crate. I'm walking to the kitchen. I'm saying, Nancy, come. That's recall in itself. So really proofing those skills from an early age. Um, heel and loose lead as well, again, so you're not being dragged down the road. Um, I guess for Nance as well, one of the most important things for me is I really wanted her to be confident at home. So I really wanted to settle her in, especially because I've got the two dogs um, and just a confident in thing in terms of being able to settle herself and entertain herself. So one of the mistakes that I made with Ada was I bought her, I think everyone's probably guilty of this, but I bought her every single toy that was available. Like literally she had everything. So if anyone ever needs toy recommendations, let me know because I can tell you which ones are good and which ones aren't. Um, but I really overstimulated her and then she found it really difficult to just entertain herself. I was kind of always on the floor, you know, helping her with her toys or what have you. Um, whereas I really want Nancy to be comfortable going into her crate or just sitting on the sofa and settling herself. So we've done a lot of work around that. Um, and then I guess this one, which is um, important for Nancy, but is the main one that I focus on with Ada, is that being calm is a good thing. Um, so things like her impulse control, settling, steadiness, like all of those things um, really feed into that. So in our house, we wait before we do absolutely everything, which means that we have to give ourselves a lot more time. Um, but it's so important. And again, learned my lessons with Ada um, from not doing that the first time around. You, you said about kind of always interacting with Ada and lots of toys and stuff like that. Do you do you kind of feel like you've conditioned her to be stimulated and on the go all the time? Has that become her normal? Yes, I definitely feel like I did with Ada. So I probably did with a, what a lot of new dog owners do is when your dog does something great, I was really overexcited with her. Like we would celebrate, but way too much. So actually sometimes their marker word, which the girl's marker word is yes. And actually maybe one piece of kibble or just a stroke is enough especially if you're doing that from a young age, because they just learn that that's their reward. Whereas with Ada, we'd be doing laps of the living room together, like celebrating. So I know that all of Ada's excited behaviour, she obviously has that energy in her because of her breed type, but I really have brought that out of her as well. So yes, completely. I think it's the way that we've interacted with each other. The training that you've done, what do you think life would be like for, for you, but also for the girls, if you'd not bothered doing anything at all? If you just kind of brought them home at eight weeks old and went, right, girls, get on with it. What would your life be like right now? Uh, firstly, I don't think I would have two Labradors. I think I would have just had one and maybe not even have been able to cope with the one. Um, but I just think it would be total chaos. Um, yeah, I definitely can't imagine um, not having trained Labradors. Um, I think the other part of it is, and I've mentioned it, but they get so much enrichment from the training as well. So it's also a good thing to do for them. Like I said, it's not just about setting boundaries for yourself. It's actually good. Um, it helps the dogs learn. Um, you probably remember, Vicky, when we did our scent training with Ada. So Ada's like learning style is little and often like the amount of times that she would switch off in our training sessions and just go and do something else. So we had to do lots of little bits of training and really mix up what we were doing with her. But I remember our final scent training session, which was where we were putting all of our skills together. I mean, she even surprised me. She was totally on it for the full hour, completely engaged. But if you imagine, we're just literally sniffing around our living room. It's not like she's running for miles or anything like that. But as you and I were finishing the call, she literally lay at my feet and went to sleep. And she was knocked out for the entire evening. And she was so happy and engaged. You can see her tail wagging that whole session. And it just shows like that wasn't just for me, right? That was her getting a lot out of it. So um, yeah, I, I think as much as it would be chaos not training, I also think it would be a real shame for your dogs to not have that in place. Um, I think the other part of that and probably the more serious side of it as well and obviously there's lots of articles in the news at the moment and we see it on social media but safety is so important with your dogs and as an owner it's something I take really seriously so you know Nancy's only little at the moment so she's not necessarily powerful but Ada definitely is and Nancy will be um, and I think it's really important that owners that we do what we can to keep them safe so training to so they know the boundaries and to keep them safe but also for other people as well so you know in our house I have two stepdaughters the youngest being eight years old 
Ada needs to know that she can't go charging across the living room and knock her over. Um, you know, she needs to know what our, our rules are and equally so do the children. So Esty needs to know how to interact with Ada in the appropriate way. Um, and I've done a lot of work both with Holly and Esther um, my stepdaughters to to really help them understand how to train the dogs what to put in place for them and you know Esther in particular just the, the dogs really respect her and listen to her so we always say she's a, a dog trainer in the making so maybe she can be your apprentice in future Vicky. Yes absolutely um, it must be so nice to see them kind of developing that bond and and I guess everyone in the household gets enjoyment from from that kind of relationship that that you've managed to develop between the kids and the dogs um, what sort of training styles have you been using and, and have either of those training styles changed between the two dogs that you've got? Yeah, so to start off with, well, when I first started with Ada, I had no idea what training style I was using. I was doing a bit of everything, anything that worked um, or sometimes the things that didn't work I was trying. So um, I use the girl's meal allowance um, to train with. So food is a massive motivator for them. And we've really worked hard to make sure that they are motivated by their food. Um, they're also really motivated by play. So I guess majority of our training is reward based, but the reward being, you know, a bit of free play. Um, it could be, like I said, praise, could be food. So all of those things combined. Um, also with some like of the less desired behavior so Ada was massive at jumping up you know the food wasn't going to change that so we would you know push her down turn away from her ignore her sometimes ask for a desired behavior so ask for a sit and it wasn't long before she then just realized actually when we push her down and turn our back oh, I remember I need to do a sit or I need to have my feet on the floor. And we would then, after a short while, reward that behaviour. So we've done a bit of everything. And I suppose I don't necessarily prescribe to, to just one thing. We try and keep it reward-based. But I've really learned with Ada what's worked for her and have tried to also replicate that with Nancy as well. Do you... I mean, your dogs are perfect, I get that. But um, I'm sure they misbehave at times. Do you have a way to communicate with them when they're doing things that you dislike we do so I will use that nah I don't know if that's a, a word that everyone uses but I will sometimes do like quite a sharp word towards them um and it just gets their attention and it's more for things that if they're going towards something that potentially could be dangerous you know you drop something on the floor may especially with Nancy her leave command isn't strong enough at the moment so actually sometimes using that kind of I see it as like an interrupter word and it just gets their attention and then I'll give them the command um so I will do that with them as well and it does really work for us it's all of those things have really helped especially with Nancy and like the puppy biting and the chewing she you know you would think she's a completely different breed to Ada um in terms of the difference between those things yeah, and I think using kind of those interrupt words, it's absolutely fine because it just helps your dog, particularly in, in the puppy stage, it helps them understand what you love and what you dislike. And then they can start making informed choices about how they continue to behave. I think there's um, like a lot of pressure out there. And again, it's the, you know, the flip side of social media, isn't it? I've, I've mentioned that I found it a really positive place and have had amazing advice on there. But I think there is a lot um, of opinions out there at the moment. And I think as responsible dog owners or as, you know, dog mums and dads who just love our dogs, quite often we do know what's best for them. And I think there's so much pressure out there to always just do reward based or always just, you know, give them praise or what have you. And I know for, you know, for my girls, I'm really fortunate that majority of the time that does work, but I know that isn't the case for everybody. And I think it's just really important that people have that confidence in themselves that, you know, if you're interested in training your dog because you're wanted to keep them safe and have them as a lovely family pair, you're probably doing the right things with them. And it is really hard, I think, to, um, you know, some people don't want to share what they're doing with their dogs with that fear of criticism or what have you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you just have to have that confidence in yourself. I would totally agree with that. So particularly at the moment, I think there is a lot of pressure from lots of different camps around training styles. And it's part of the reason why I like to bring these questions up about training methods, because the things that you see on social media tend to be the extremes of different camps. So you would have positive reinforcement where actually we're kind of told you should only reward the good stuff and kind of ignore the bad stuff. And then you have more 
kind of aversive methods where it's um, things that essentially your dog dislikes or, or could potentially hurt your dog. People see the extremes, but actually there's a huge big void in the middle where we can apply a little bit of balance. We don't have to hurt our dogs. We don't have to just throw treats at them all day. There's there's that bit in the middle where you will find your groove with your particular dog and it's your dog, your life, your rules. But the very fact you're looking at training methods means that you care about your dog in the first place. So, you know, we're not saying that you're going to abuse your dog in any way, shape or form, but you must find what works for you. And don't be afraid to, to kind of publicize what you're doing and share what you're doing, because if it works for you, it may well help someone else that's watching on social media that is really struggling as well. Um, on that topic of kind of how we train our dogs, we, we've spoken about training styles and it's important to find one that works for you and your dog. But also finding equipment that works is a big part of it. So what does your dog walking kit consist of? Are you a simple collar and lead or are you a big bag of tricks and, you know, take a whole host of everything with you? Yes, I wish it was just collar and lead. I take everything with me. It takes me forever to prepare um, for a dog walk. So I would say to everyone, get a really good coat that has a million pockets or a dog training vest. The more pockets you have, the better um, on your walk. So we will take, yes, collars. So my girls both walk on their collars. Um, we use harnesses for them in the car. So when they leave our house, they actually have both on their collar to get them to the car and then we clip them into the car in their harness um obviously lots of dog poo bags they're in every single coat pocket and we take extras with us all the time there's always someone you bump into on your walk that needs them as well um, I also use a training pouch so I think I've mentioned I use the girls meal allowance um, Ada eats from butternut box so fresh food um, so it's in a silicon training pouch called it's called the trainer pouch um, which is really good. So I kind of have that like strapped around my waist, which I always joke on my social media. Like I go out the house looking like Miss Trunchbull from Matilda, which I definitely like, I know I look like her, um, which is totally fine. Again, it shows everybody that I am training and that they shouldn't approach me. Um, but yes, I take loads of things with me. And um, I sometimes take the occasional toy. So um, I know Vicky as well, you like the tug enough toys. Um, I do take those. Um, out with me the ones that work best for us are the sheepskin ones um, and they will again sometimes just help us with our recall and those things or sometimes if I just want to get the girl's attention if we're walking past you know a, a, a larger distraction or what have you I'd love to see that bag of kit that you take out with you <laughs> maybe I could do maybe I could do that on Instagram like what's in my dog walking bag or something or maybe that, yeah, could be a, like that could be a trend something for every occasion yeah um so you seem pretty happy and upbeat about your decision to have two dogs in your life so I, I kind of guess I know the answer to this question already but do you think having Labradors in your life is is different to what you thought it might be when you decided to get a dog? Honestly not really so I knew it'd be a lot of work hence I took a long time deciding to get one dog. I think the bit that surprised me the most is how much I've enjoyed it and the point that you mentioned Vicky around enjoying the training I think I knew that it would be an essential part of dog ownership, but I didn't realise it would probably be the thing that really helped me form that strong bond with the dogs. And I think for me that that is just totally amazing. So, you know, I think the fact that I went from one dog to two dogs really quickly just shows that, um, you know, how how much I enjoy it and how amazing it is. Yeah, but it's, it's not all easy, is it? So let's talk about challenges. So what would you say your biggest challenges that you faced with either of the dogs or both of them and how have you taken steps to to kind of overcome it and get better mm -hmm. so we definitely don't have enough time to go through all of them I have had so many challenges like I said with Ada majority of them caused from myself um the one that's probably best for me to talk about is like heel and loose lead um so when I first got Ada they're like where we live there's amazing you know parks and forests and places like that so I would take Ada there and quite often let her off her lead and let her run so she found her nose really quickly 
nose was constantly to the floor and she was basically hunting like using that natural instinct of hers and I became quite irrelevant to her on our walks and then I found it since then really difficult to get her to engage with me on our walks. I think it was probably a few months after being able to walk her that I even tried to do loose lead walking with her and I think you might have to remind me Vicky but I think she was about nine months when we did our first training with you is that right? That's correct. Um, yeah, so around nine months old, and I remember saying to you, I've never taught her to heal or to walk on her lead at all. So already I'd got quite a few months of learned bad behaviour, if you like, or not even learned behaviour. She didn't even know what to do um, with those things. And we've had to work really hard with it. So you obviously gave us amazing advice and we were trying to practice that as much as we could. But I was still really struggling with it and I would just find our walks really difficult. I'm really stressful to be honest I was not enjoying our walks at all and um, sometimes I would just not walk her and would actually just take her you know we'd drive to a field and we'd do different sorts of training but I was almost avoiding the issue and knowing I needed to tackle it so once I kind of heard from the breeder that there was this litter coming along and I was thinking about getting a second dog I thought if I don't get on top of her heel and loose leaves there is no way that I can manage to have a second dog because I'm not going to be able to train the second dog to do that. And there's no way I can hold two of them dragging me down the road. It's bad enough with one of them. So um, obviously I've been following your advice, but sadly we don't live anywhere near each other. Um, so I found a local trainer to me. I knew what to do, but I had totally lost my confidence because I've been finding it difficult. So I needed a trainer next to me watching what I was doing knowing that if I was doing it and I was getting to, into trouble with Aiden, she was really pulling, there was someone else there to help me, but just someone, you know, watching us and giving me really direct feedback on what to do. And we had about an hour or an hour and a half together. And honestly, it was exactly the same as your training, Vicky, you know, lots of directional changes, all of that stuff. And Ada just really clicked. And I don't think it was her doing anything different. I think it was just that I'd got my confidence back with it. And I kind of got a new lease of energy to be like, right, we're on this. I've got, you know, a few months until a potential second puppy is going to be here. I absolutely need to get on top of this now. And every single day during her meal times, we would use that meal allowance. We would go out onto a quiet side street and we would just practice and practice and practice. And we still do today. It's still something she finds hard, but we just practice and practice and it does get better. Um, so, yeah, I'd say to anybody, whatever problems you are having, like just keep keep going with it but using an appropriate method don't keep going if you know it's not working because you're just going to keep reinforcing that negative behavior and I think also it is accepting that there's no quick fixes when you're training a dog particularly like you said about unpicking learned behavior so Ada had probably had I don't know 12 plus months of practicing doing a certain thing yeah. And then when you try and say, right, I want you to do something different now, it's really difficult for her to comprehend because you're not just teaching her something new, you're actually unpicking everything that she already knows. So you do have to kind of dedicate enough time and, and commitment to it to really start seeing little glimmers of hope before it becomes the new normal. Yeah. Um, so you've kind of made that mistake, if you like, with, with Ada, which I'm sure you don't want to repeat with Nancy. So what does your what does your lead walking training with Nancy currently look like? Is it totally different from day one? It is totally different. So I was really keen when I had Ada and she was able to go out for her walk. You get really excited, don't you? Like, yes, I can take them outside. And like I said, with Ada, I just got her outside and basically let her do what she wanted. With Nancy, it's only in the last couple of weeks that I've even started practicing walking on the lead. So with Nancy, I walk out the house carrying her. I take her to a quiet side street. And for the first couple of weeks, we literally sat on that side street. We might do a few steps past, I don't know, a parked car. We might do a few steps over a drain cover, past a wheelie bin. If there's dogs walking past us, again, I might sit with her on the floor and reward her when she's staying calm. So. I almost focused on like the socialization side of being outside, you know, desensitizing her to all the things that they might find either exciting or scary. 
and we're still working on that now and it's only the past couple of weeks so rather than practicing with Nancy outside on her lead I've been practicing her heel in my living room or I've got a galley style kitchen which is perfect to practice because you've almost got like a guideline um, down the side so I've approached it in a completely different way um, I mentioned to you, Vicky, as we got on this call, like I had a nightmare walk with them both yesterday and I tried to do a little bit of heel with Nancy outside and she was just, it just been raining, there was smells everywhere and she was really distracted. You know, going 12 months back with Ada, I would have carried on with that walk, but with Nancy, I just picked her off the ground and we went and sat actually by the coffee shop that's by our walk, which was brilliant. I sat and had a coffee and Nancy just sat next to me and literally just took in all the sights and smells. So I think... I've, you know, have done it completely differently to how I've done it with Ada and, you know, it's something she's still not mastered, but something that we'll continue to practice on a daily basis. And I think part of the the routine that you can set it with with any puppy, it's not necessarily yours, but any puppy at all is if they're on the lead, make it really clear to them if they're on the lead, the expectation is they're going to walk nicely, they're going to walk by your side or whatever position you want them in, but that just becomes the normal. It's the thing that happens every day. And that can be in your kitchen, it could be your living room, be your garden, doesn't need to be on a very exciting walk. You can practice this stuff everywhere while you're waiting for the kettle to boil. Um, let's look at how your experiences with both girls can start to help other people that are listening. So what would you say is the biggest misunderstanding about having a Labrador in your life? I think maybe the differences between the working line and the show line so quite often when you say to people you know you've got a labrador people will think of you know like the andrex puppy or that snoozy overfed labrador that's lounging around all day and obviously that is quite different when you've got a working line labrador and um, like the amount of people that will stop us on our walk or in the street and ask what breed the girls are because i said they look quite if you know your labradors you know they're a working line but quite often people are confused and um, by what breed they are um, so I think that definitely is a bit of a misconception from people um, and also probably like I said at the start from myself I didn't necessarily think too much of the differences when I was first getting a Labrador um, I think the other one that I get all the time and this is probably more of a frustration than a misconception but when I say I've got a Labrador sometimes people are like oh they're so intelligent they just train themselves and I'm like no they do not if you know the amount of hours that I dedicate to these girls so yeah I think um, those are the things that people if someone was thinking of getting a Labrador maybe a friend or family member may say that to them and those things are yeah definitely not true absolutely I would totally agree with that I mean to some extent they will train themselves but they'll train themselves to do exactly what you don't want them to do yes um, if you could give one bit of advice or, you know, many bits of advice, you know, whatever advice you want to give really to a new Labrador owner, what's it going to be? So I think before you even get your dog, do your research. Um, so, you know, look at the breed characteristics. So is it a show line? Is it a working line? Is a Labrador even right for you? Um, find a reputable breeder. So ask loads and loads of questions and don't rush because you're excited to get a puppy, don't just go to the first person you find, like really make sure that it feels right for you. And um, a bit of a boring one, but really practical, like check your finances, like owning a dog is really expensive, like with their insurance, their food, their vet bills, the hundreds of toys that you'll inevitably buy for them, all of your training kit, and um, those things can be expensive and like don't get yourself in a difficult situation off the back of that. Um, and also, you know, you may need help around your work commitments. Do you need a dog walker? Do you need daycare? All of those things. Um, I think in terms of training, I've mentioned it, but think about training a fully grown dog. So what do you want your dog to do when they are 25, 30 kilograms and, and plan your training around that? Um, and I suppose aside from the practical side of training, like don't be scared to ask for help. Like it is really difficult owning dogs and sometimes you feel really lonely and like you're in it by yourself. So think about who those people are around you, whether it's friends and family, people on the Instagram community, professional trainers, nutritionists, whoever it is that you need to get help from. Like, don't be scared to speak up um, and get that help. Um, and then I think my final one, which is a really sentimental point, but we, you know, our dogs lives are just so short compared to our lives. And um, so I think just really enjoy it and cherish the time that you have with your dog. Um, I always just think and, you know, people do say this, but it's like we are our dog's whole world. So, yeah, just try and be the best possible owner that you can be for them. 
you've got to enjoy every minute and I think if if living with a dog is becoming challenging or stressful or you or you stop enjoying it you must reach out to someone and and make a change because we need you and your dog to just live the happiest best lives together um you know there will be people listening to this that are in that situation where they're sat at home thinking I'm not enjoying it or I'm finding it a challenge or I don't know what I should be doing what advice would you give to them Oh, I would just say, like, be kind to yourself. Um, you will be doing a great job. The fact that you're even listening to this podcast right now shows that you are a loving dog owner. Um, and yeah, like, you will have their best interests at heart. And there are people out there that can help you. So yeah, just speak up. You're not in it alone. Um, and yeah, just be kind to yourself because you're probably doing a great job. Absolutely. Um I'm sure you're going to agree to this, but I would like to think that people can reach out to you as well through uh, the girls' Instagram accounts um, if they've got any challenges or they just want to give you a bit of support as well. So do you want to share your Instagram details for Ada and Nancy? Yes, I will do. They have a shared Instagram account. We recently updated our name. So it is redfoxlab underscore sisters. Excellent. And one other thing you mentioned earlier on in the podcast, and I'm going to come back to it, you said to your brand reps for a company doing natural treats and that kind of stuff. So tell us a little bit about that company and whether you've got any discount codes or rep codes and um, how people can go and find them. Yes, of course. So we are brand reps for a lovely small business, female owned called Poor and Simple. They do natural treats, enrichments, um, all their packaging is eco-friendly as well. Um, the owner is actually a Labrador owner as well. So you know that all the treats are well tested um, and that your dogs will love them. Um, so you can find them. They've got Facebook. They've got Instagram. Their name is Core and Simple. You can find them from that and also their web page. Um, and our discount code is ADA. So A-D-A. Um, and that gets you a bit of discount off your orders. Great stuff. I'm going to make sure I put that in the show notes. So if anyone did miss that, you can check out the notes on the podcast and find the details there. Um, so go check out Ada and Nancy's Instagram account and see what they're getting up to. I can promise you they're both pretty cute. So it's worth checking out. Lucy from me, thanks for sharing Ada and Nancy with me and our listeners. Keep doing what you're doing and just enjoy many, many happy years with your delightful duo. Thanks for joining us. Find out more by checking out talesofsuccess.com or search at talesuccess on your social channels.